All right, so once again, thank you for being here tonight. I want to welcome you all and welcome you all and also welcome all those listening on our podcast channel. Uh, this evening we are going to be studying the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. Uh, so the past couple Wednesdays, we've actually studied Romans chapter 1. And in those teachings, we saw Paul talk about the greatness of Christ, share the gospel in an amazing way. Uh, and now we're going to see him really start to, get, start to get into the topic of sin. All right, and that's what he's going to do. In this chapter in particular, he's going to get very personal, very in-depth with that topic. He's going to get direct. He's going to be speaking to people who judge others, specifically Christians, believers who judge others. And to be very specific, not just judging others, but he's going to point out that the people who do those things judge others while they are extremely guilty themselves. Right? So it's more than just judge. It's a whole, all this stuff. And that's key. Because as Christians, we are called to call out sin, to help everybody see their sin. We should do that, but we should do that in a loving way, in a way that, that we also understand we are sinners. We are no better. We are the same, right? And that's how we're to do it. We're no better. So let's read this. Start out with verse, fun, verse 1. Let's see what he has to say. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> and he hits the ground running. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So as you can see, Paul, like I say, he's not pulling any punches. He's very, very direct with his words. But we also need to pause. We understand, understand what he means specifically because it's important. He's, he's getting very direct. It's important because as Christ followers, as people who believe and want other people to believe, Few, few things are more damaging to outside people looking in at Christianity than seeing existing Christians judging others, slamming a hammer down on them where they are as guilty as anybody else, right? That's what he's talking That's an awful message to preach. That's an awful message to let people see, and that's how they get a picture of Christianity because that is not at all what Jesus taught us to do, right? So when Paul starts off with, you have no excuse, what he's indicating is ultimately there will be a judgment, right? Because you're going to try to use some kind of excuse. You're going to be held responsible for those actions. And when we're judged by God, there is nothing we are going to be able to say in our defense, right? So this is one of those, Romans chapter 2 is very specific. It's, it, it's just wide out there, right out there. And the reason, the reason we're not going to be able to defend ourselves is, number one, we know the law. We're using it to call out others. So we know about it, right? We understand it, right? And that's what we're doing. Number two, we know the law. We're judging others, but we're not applying it to ourselves. We're not, right? Which shows we don't want the law to apply to us, just other people. We want to use it as a hammer on other people. And again, it's very dangerous. It's dangerous because, let's be honest, it shows you might not be saved, Right? Because you have sin you're not owning up to. Sin you don't want to be held responsible for. Sin, you're like, no, 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 no. What about you? And you just go after people. All while at the same time you're doing that, you're refusing to own up your sin, you're showing others this is the version of Christianity. And they're not going to want to come and join. They're not going to want to be a part of that. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for others because you may prevent them from coming to know Jesus Christ. So that's what it means. There is no defense from this. There's no excuse, right? It's a very dangerous position. That's why Paul is not holding back. He cares about you. 
cares about me. He cares about the non-believers. He wants them to know. And just to highlight how big of a problem this is, or can be, Jesus spoke on this. He did a couple times. The one we're going to talk about uh, tonight is in Matthew chapter 7, just an example. It'll be on the screen above me. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 and 5. And you've probably heard this before. This is Jesus talking. He says, why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, just for examples, like I have a couple planks of wood at home. I was going to bring one in and be like, see, look at this, see? But he says, how, but, and, and let's be honest, Jesus does a really good job with this example. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me help you with that speck out of your eye while you have a plank sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then try to help your brother, right? His point being, we get so fixated on the sin of others, we don't even look and notice our own sin. We can literally do, be doing awful things, have a plank sticking out of our own eye and be more focused on other people's sin, right? And so to make this personal, make sure we clearly, clearly understand what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying, I want to pose to you a very real scenario. And then this scenario, and I mean this truly, you guys are all going to be the judge, right? I know that we just read you're not supposed to judge, but go with me. (laughs) I know. It's not a trick, right? This is the first question. Would you all agree that we are all sinners? Should have been an easy one, right? We're all sinners. In some way, we sin either every day or regularly. If you're not comfortable saying every day, let's say regularly, right? We all do that, okay? Even though we're baptized, we believe in Jesus Christ, we know the law, we still sin even if we don't want to, right? Second question, since you admit that you sin, you admit you also know the law, right? Even if you can't memorize it or can't pass the, the biblical bar exam, you know the law, Right? You know it enough to understand that you are a sinner because that's the point of the law. That's why we have it, right? For example, the law says don't lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery in your, even in your heart. Don't hate in your heart. Don't uh, have an idol, honor your father. Okay, we admit those are biblical laws and you admit you didn't hear them for the first time just now from me, right? We have knowledge of that stuff. So keep that in mind, all that stuff. Now we're gonna get into the heart of what Paul and what Jesus are saying. Imagine there's two people, one on my left, one on my right. Now we're going to get all judgy. The one on my left is not a Christian, never been to church, doesn't know the Ten Commandments, right? That's them. One on my right is a Christian, has been going to church for decades, right? Now, your job is to judge who is more guilty, not innocent and guilty, more guilty, right? They both sin. They're both guilty to a degree. Here we go. person on my left doesn't know the law, has not been to church, It's not a Christian, never been baptized, does not own a Bible, right? That's the person on my left. They're a sinner, but that's their picture. Then on my right, this one goes to church all the time, knows the law, owns a Bible, has the Bible app on their phone, gets the Calvary daily devotions, right? Here's sermons regularly. Here's the million-dollar question. They both sin every day. Who is more Guilty. Pause and think about it if you're not sure. This one doesn't know the law. And they're a sinner. This one knows the law. Still sins. They say, well, I'm sorry. Right? I I didn't mean to. And this is a pastor's. How sorry can you be, this is Paul talking, if you still do it every day or regularly? That's tough. That's tough. Right? 
But that's not all. Stay in that mindset for a wee bit moment more. Imagine this person who knows the law regularly breaks it, also uses that law to hammer other people but not judge themselves. It's just getting worse on this side, right, of the altar. Right? That's the point. And that helps us hopefully see how damaging everything about this is. That's what it is. It's bad for that person because they're probably not saved because there's sin they don't want to admit to, and yet they're going after other people, thereby preventing them potentially from even coming to know Jesus. And Jesus doesn't speak well of people who put roadblocks, stumbling blocks in front of other people, does he? Look that one up if you want. That's a big one. So if you are new to Jesus Christ, would this help you, would this bring you closer to the faith? No, probably not. Now to go a little further, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, what he meant was, represent me. You be me to other people. People need to see me through you. Go and make disciples. Was this any part of the process? No. But yet that's what Paul is seeing. And let's be honest, we see this today too. We do. All right? That's the version of Jesus that we put out there. And this is critical to understand. If you really... If you really, this is a good study if you want to do it. Read the New Testament, or do a Google search. Who did Jesus really get mad at? Yeah, so like, look, look at the time. When Jesus really got angry and had a bad day and was like, you know, I don't know if he did this, but if he thought it in his head, who is he getting mad at? The Pharisees, the hypocrites, the people who knew the law and were crushing other people. Who are the people that made him so mad he overturned furniture? And he did do that. When he grabbed a stick off a tree and chased grown men out of a building. Basically assault by now, now, but that's what he did. Why? They were doing this, and it was crushing people. It was huge. They forced the law on others. They didn't follow it themselves. But on the other side of the coin, there were people who took Jesus' message, and they went out, and they shared the message, and they did it because they understood they were saved. They were sinful, and Jesus saved them, right? That's what he wanted to do, right? Think about John the Baptist. This is a great example. Think about how John the Baptist and the baptism through repentance that he taught was such a crazy idea when it came about, right? Because you actually had to repent of your sins, and then you went into the water and got washed, right? He called grown adults outside of the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was outside, and had them do this. And think about the high priest and the Pharisees. No matter how many animals they sacrificed, no matter how much stuff they, they participated in, we, knew that we know they could go a little farther into the temple than other people, right? But they were never totally good. And they did the sacrifices all the time. They were never totally clean. Nothing changed that whole system until repentance of sin, baptism, washed clean, Saved through Jesus Christ, right? That's what's so important. That's what mattered. And the way this applies to the world is that if we are, this is what Paul wants to do, if we are truly saved and our sins are washed away, we should represent Jesus Christ just as he is, right? And share that we are sinners, right? And that we can be saved. And specifically, this is cool, look, look at who Jesus specifically sought out when he was here on this earth. Who did he look for? 
the lost, the sinners, the sick, the forgotten, the fringes on the society, the sinners, the big sinners, right? Whatever, whatever. But when he even encountered them, did he condemn them? Did he judge them? No. He told them that they sinned, right? Even the young lady who was about to get stoned, he said, leave your life of sin. But he wasn't up here doing this. He was probably knelt down and got right in front of her. He met her where she was. He didn't judge her from up high. He didn't crush them with the law. He rescued them and led them out of their life. And that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to show us our sin and send us to Jesus Christ, where then we're saved. And this is, this is what Paul is desperately crying out. He wants the people that he's writing this letter to, the Romans, know that we are sinners. You can never forget that. We have no right to judge. We can share Jesus by showing how we were saved in spite of our sin. Right? And that's critical to know. Now the next part, what Paul says, continues down the same road. He's going to add some stuff to it. He's not done by a long shot. Verses 2 to 4. He says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So Paul's doing, he's expanding this idea, the dangers of judging others. And he's also, he's bringing in some cool stuff, some important aspects. He says, first of all, we know God's judgment, the judgment that's coming is based on truth. Right? So first off, we know we're going to be judged. If you don't know that, you just heard that tonight, you're going to be judged. It's going to happen, right? We're all going to be held account for everything we do. And depending on how we live our lives, that can be either a good thing or a bad thing. But regardless, we're going to be judged based on truth. And what is that truth? It's the truth of God's law, that we are sinners. That's what it, that's what it does. And that shows us then that we need a Savior. So when we have God's fair law, and we judge others while giving ourselves a free pass, that's not without consequences. Right? That's his point. It's going to have real-world consequences when the final judgment comes. But that's not all. It's more, than just, it's more than just abusing the law and dishing out unfairly. Paul's going to throw in some really hard truth here, because we really need to pause and understand this. This is because this is crazy. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, patience, not realizing God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So his word contempt is a heavy word. But he's, this is not an exaggeration. It's not a mislabeling. When we unfairly judge others and let ourselves off the hook, we're showing contempt for the God's kindness and salvation that he's given us because we're twisting it. We're using it for our own benefit. So let me say it again so we're clear. When we let ourselves off the hook of our own sin while crushing others, we show contempt for God's salvation. That's what we're doing, and that is extremely serious. That's why Paul is so direct. That's why he's so unrelenting. It's not acceptable to do, and that needs to change. Paul wasn't the only person to write about it. Uh, John also did. And in 1 John chapter uh, 1, for, uh, verses uh, 8 to 10, you may have heard this before. John says, if we claim to be, there's a lot of ifs, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us from all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Verse 10 is the key. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a what? A liar. And his word is not in us. So whether we outwardly say, I have no sin, I have no sin, or we just internally know the law but ignore it, the parts that apply to us that we don't want, enforce it on others, the result is the same. The result is that we are deceiving ourselves and we make God out to be a liar. That is some heavy-duty biblical stuff. And that's what he's saying. But on the other hand, with Paul, this is so great. Also, Paul says is uh, God's gift. That's what makes it so special. God's grace is supposed to lead us to repentance. His kindness, his love, his salvation, all that stuff is supposed to drive us and help us see this gift that we have. It should drive us to leave our sinful lives and then to follow Jesus. So on the one hand, Paul offers this, let's be honest, a really stiff rebuke, but truthful about judging others. But he's also sharing the gospel at the exact same time. He's sharing the gospel. He's sharing it to the people over here on the right that are abusing it because he still wants them to know. He wants them to know. So he's like, he's putting on guardrails, like, you know, at the bowling alley, you have those little rails for kids that don't go off the line. Right there, and he's also still focusing in on the strike, which is Jesus Christ, right down the middle. Let's continue into verse 5, because Paul is not done. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6 says, God will pay, repay each person according to what they've done. So again, he's just, he's just driving an 18-wheeler like right down this road, right? And there's good reason. He tells us he's talking to people who are stubborn and unrepentant. And to be stubborn means you've been warned. You know the limits. You've been told that's not okay. And what do you do? You just keep going. You, just keep, you, you have determination in the face of warnings that you're just going to keep going off that cliff. And to be unrepentant, the way he's using it, means... <clears throat> They've been told they need to repent. They've been shown they were wrong. They understand the law. Just like this person over here on the right, they understood the law. They just chose not to do what? Focus it on themselves. So they can't even claim ignorance. So the people that Paul is writing to, they know the law. They've been warned, and yet they're determined to keep going down the wrong path. And they're doing it without regard to themselves and others. And it's just a bad situation all the way around. But like anything with God, there are some people who get it right. There are some people who've done wrong but turned things around. And Paul's going to speak to them in addition to the stubborn, unrepentant people. And that's going into verses 7 and 8. Verses, verse 7, he said, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and mortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth, and follow evil, evil there will be wrath and anger. Now look at the words he uses because they also, they're going to tell us a lot about the individual people and how they operate. He says, for those who receive eternal life, he said that he describes them as persisting in doing good. And this means, by, this means let's be honest, following God is not always easy. Just because you become a, a Christ follower, a believer, you are still going to have trials in your life. You are still going to have ups and downs, sometimes a lot of downs, it seems like, right? But the word that demonstrates here that Paul is talking about is the word persistent. You persist, meaning you stay the course with God. Your faith, 
you following him isn't, isn't dependent on your personal wealth, how well things are going for you. He simply is your God. You endure, you remain steadfast. You show the God, you show the world of who you believe. Now, there's a, um, I got into a, a discussion one time with someone who was kind of concerned about how much good they should do. And, I under, and we got into the whole, you, can't, you don't earn anything like that. And I said, no, no, I understand that. But how do I know if, my, if I'm doing enough good works? And it's a way I described it like this. So if you want to show God that you're persisting, right? Think of it like this. Imagine God taking a step back from your life and seeing all your ups and downs. And you're human. You're going to have good days and bad days. As long as you are persisting and always trying, sometimes hitting home runs, sometimes strike, striking out, but you're still trying, you're going to show God that you follow him, that you're following in Jesus' footsteps. So don't worry about the overall amount. Concentrate more on persisting. That's just where you are. That's the direction you're heading. And so that's what Paul's talking about. You know, because when we do mission trips, when we go overseas, sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes we've had our stuff stolen from us. And it's not much of a mission trip, right? And so what do you do? You know what I mean? You persist. You find another way. You keep going. You know what I mean? And not every person that I talk to about faith, believe it or not, not everybody I try to convert to Jesus Christ comes to believe. Did you know that? <laughs> so same thing with Pastor Craig, Pastor Joey. But what do you do? You persist. You say you're loving, you're forgiving, you're patient, and you just persist. And that's, how you, and that's what Paul's talking about. They show God, they show the world who they follow and who's first in their lives. And Paul says, well, on the other hand, like in verse 8, there are people who are self-seeking. They reject the truth. And for them, there'll be wrath and anger. And that part just speaks for itself. That wrath will come from God. Now, as we head into verses 9 uh, through 11, Paul talks this way, and uh, it almost appears that Paul is making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, but in reality, he's not. So let's just read it, and we'll talk about it. Starting at verse 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. So it, when Paul speaks this way, this was more common back then um, to speak that way. Um, but as you can see, his point is Jews received the law first, so they're going to be held accountable first, is what he's saying. And they'll also receive... Um, uh, glory and honor first. But his point is, the main point is that all people are going to receive punishment. All people are going to be rewarded. God does not show favoritism. Paul also said, you know, we are his children, and in Jesus Christ there is no Jew, no Gentile, neither slave nor free. We are all one. Now, the last part of our teaching for today, we're going to break it up into two parts because it's verses 12 and 13 and 14 and six through 16. They're all very much related. It's just too much to put on the screen behind me, so we're going to Break it up. Let's start with verses 12 to 13. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Can you tell Paul really likes to talk about the law? He was a religious lawyer, so it comes across. And verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who do what? Obey the law. It is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now, again, I highlighted the, the most important part in verses 13. And it ties in with what Paul has been saying this whole chapter. It's not hearing the law 
It's not having a whole you know, shelf of Bibles in your house or even be able to rattle them all off, which is fine. The real question is, do you understand the law and what it's supposed to do to you? The law is meant to show you that you are a sinner, that you do not meet God's law. And then that should cause you to ask some very serious questions. What do I do? What do I do? I'm guilty. And it's supposed to drive us to Jesus Christ. The law convicts us of our sin, and Jesus Christ then saves us and removes that sin. Law by itself doesn't do anything but condemn. Now, as we head into verses 14 to 16, this is where Paul is going to go deeper into the subject of what about the people who don't know the law, the ones who don't have knowledge? What about them? Where do they fit in? Are they held responsible? And those are good questions. Paul's going to address them. Let's start at verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousnesses, conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So the big idea that Paul's talking about here that he wants to get across is that the law is written on everyone's hearts. For example, whether you go to church, whether you go to baptize or not, we all know ultimately right from wrong. We do. We know the big stuff. We know, here's a, you can always tell, specifically with adults, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, we know if we're telling a lie. Right? And when it comes down to it, you know if you're deceiving somebody. You know if you have anger in your heart if you, for someone, if you wish bad things to happen on somebody. We also know what love is. We know what forgiveness is. We do know what the law is. We do have it on our hearts. Even if I have a test and I say, name all Ten Commandments right now, go, and you can't do that, which is fine, you still know what murder is. You know what hate is. You know what it is to covet and try to know and get, you know. We know what that is. That's his point. That's what Paul's referring to. And he says that knowledge, even that in, internal, we all have that internal dialogue, right? We're kind of debating. Things. Our internal dialogue is either going to defend us or accuse us before God. Because God God's know, he knows what's in our heart. He knows what's going on. And there's actually a couple good examples of this in the Bible, in, of real life. The first one occurs in Acts 10. It involves a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. And the story goes that he was a good man. He was a devout man. He was not a Jew. He did not have the Jewish law. He did not follow the Jewish law. He lived apart from the Jewish laws. But the Bible says he was a good man. He cared for those that were less fortunate. He was generous. He was kind. He lived as someone who had the law on his heart. He knew right from wrong, and he lived a certain way. And because of his life, the way he lived, he became the first Gentile that Peter baptized. Peter was actually unsure of what to do when he first got there because here's a, he's not a Jew. Can I do this? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he ended up doing it. But we need to remember the important part that the law was written within Cornelius' heart. He didn't take advantage of the law. He could have. He didn't use it against other people. He did the right thing whether people were watching or not. He simply persisted that way. He lived it out. Now, the other really good example of this, and then we're going to bring them back together, is the, uh, concerns the rich young man, the rich young ruler who walked up to Jesus, and he asked how to get into heaven. 
This occurs in Mark chapter 10. The story goes, Jesus was standing there one day, you know, talking on his cell phone, whatever. And this young guy runs up to him and asks him, how do I get into heaven? What must I do? And Jesus' responds, well, keep the commandments. And he actually, you know, starts listing them off. The young man, the rich young man says, well, listen, I've kept all of those my whole life. I've nailed it. I've done those things. What else do I do? This is, this is, there's a few stories, there's a lot of stories I'd love to be there for. This is one in particular, if I could have been there. Keep in mind, this young man had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. He's actually talking to him closer than we're talking now. He was like, you know, something we'll never experience. And he asked Jesus probably one of the most profound, heavy-duty questions, how do I get into heaven? I mean, the guy. What's the combination? What's the code? You know, what's the lowest bar, how high, and then that I can get over? What is it? And Jesus responds. He says, well, sell everything you have. Everything. Then go give that money to the poor. And then, come with me. Just come with me. Now, before we get into how the rich young man responded to this, we need to look at what Jesus just said. He says, sell everything. Everything. This young man was rich. Rich loaded, well-to-do. So Jesus hit him hard, but with the truth. Yeah, you think you kept the law. You didn't. So we're going to get to it. He says, sell everything and give it to the sinners, the people lower than you, people you don't eat next to, that are on the other side of the tracks. Give them everything. Sell it and give it to them. Then what I want you to do Come with me. Live like I live. Just come with me. That's the key. And the last part was the biggest, to follow Jesus Christ. Because in, in his mind, keeping the law meant what? I can do whatever I want. I'm keeping the law. Now i got to follow this guy 24-7. He's going to see everything. I can't hide anything. All right? Too tall a price. So in our first story, Cornelius, who was not a Jew, did not have the law, did not follow the Jewish law, showed that it was written on his heart because what? He was uncommonly kind, generous, looked after people, and he did it when nobody was watching. That's just how he lived. It never benefited him one bit. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, knew the law. He rattled them off to Jesus. He says, I've known them since I was a kid. I did them all. That's what he thought. But because of the way he used the law and he didn't apply it to himself, he saw himself as better than everybody else. And that prevented him from being kind, generous, and loving. And here's the killer, the kicker. When he was given the choice, when he was given the code for heaven, the passcode, follow Jesus, saw him face to face. What did he do? He chose his money. He chose his mind. The dude was face to face with Jesus. Jesus gave him the code. And it says the man hung his head and turned and walked away. Jesus let him walk away. See, that's the other part of it. He made his own decision. None of us are forced to do this. He turned his back on Jesus. He used the law to raise himself up and misused it. So he missed out on that. So these two stories, kind of strangely, they highlight everything that Paul was talking about in Romans 2. There are people that see the law, even though the law is written on their heart, 
And it changes them. It drives them to try to do better, to genuinely do better. It drives them to God. Cornelius led him to be baptized. And because he was blessed, other people saw that. But then there are others who see the law and they look for loopholes. They look for a way to use it for their advantage, to take it out on others while not applying it to themselves. These are the people that Paul says they show contempt for God's riches, his salvation, his blessing, his grace, the grace through Jesus Christ. So Paul, while he offers a stark warning for everybody, he's also offering, talking about Jesus' grace, the grace we get, how we're saved. So this is the part where we now talk about how this applies to each of us directly. Because this is the, if you think I'm being harsh, and I'm, hopefully you don't think I am, no, Paul was a dead serious dude. He was great, but this is what he would ask you. How do you use the law? And don't answer quickly. That's what I tell my kids. If I ask them something, they're like, oh. Because I do this to myself. Uh, Owning up, repenting is not a one-time thing. You do it big the first time. You do it for the rest of your life. You just always do it. And one of the hardest prayers, and you should do this sometime, is say, God, show me the sins that I don't know about the ones that I forgot, the ones that slipped by me, the ones that I do often enough. I got these four, but I missed these two. Show me the stuff when I was a kid when I should have known better. Show it to all of me. Don't hold back. That's a hard, hard prayer. That's a rough couple months. (laughs) Because I did do that. That's rough. And there was stuff that I forgot. There was stuff that happened around me that I just didn't stand up for the other person. And I just stood there. I didn't even know it was going to happen, but I didn't do anything. I walked off with the people who did. And that still hurts, because I was old enough to know better. But you're never going to truly get there until we truly repent. And it is, I'll be honest with you, it's a lifelong process. But what do you do? Like Paul said, you persist. You're not perfect. You're not going to be. But that's how you show God, listen, I don't deserve what you've given me. I don't but I believe in you, I'm trying, I'm going to keep trying. And then if I'm lucky enough, other people will see that, that it's genuine and that it's true. And I am not better than any of you. I'm not better. But that's hopefully the message that people get, that Jesus does save. Because I've, I've met people, I, got, like I used to do the Bible study in jail years ago, and I met some guys that did some awful stuff. Right? The worst I've ever had, I've had a couple of speeding tickets, to be honest with you, as far as breaking the law. That's it. And I have guilt. Think about the level of guilt that other people have that have done far worse things. So if I paint this picture that I'm somehow better, how much lower does that make them even feel than they already feel? How far more far off is Jesus Christ to them? And that can never happen, because they are never too far. Ever. Jesus Christ is here for everyone. So the question is, how do you apply the law to yourself? Hopefully the way it was intended, which is right in your face, difficult, uncomfortable. Yes. If it doesn't feel that way, then you haven't done it right. And that's what Paul wants people to know. Because when you feel that way, that's when you truly feel forgiven. And oh my gosh, is that a powerful thing. And oh my gosh, that is something other people need to know. That it's there. 
We are all guilty, but because of Jesus Christ, we have hope, we have freedom, we have salvation. And tonight, we want everybody to have that chance. We want everybody to know that. Where you've been at church, whether you've been to church for decades or this is brand new for you, it doesn't matter. So, a minute, we're going to pray and we're going to give everybody a chance to answer that call to Jesus Christ. All you have to do is repeat the words that I say. You can do it quietly right there. But for those of you that want to recommit, they want to get back in that persistence lane, because we all fall away, we're going to pray for you too. We're going to pray for God to show it to us so we can truly be saved and we can truly be that good example of what Jesus Christ is. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me to save me and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. And Father, tonight we ask that the meaning of the law hits us right in the face. That we truly realize that we are sinners. The stuff we remember, the stuff we don't remember. But when that happens is when we will truly see the greatness of your gift, of how great Jesus is. So, Father, we ask you to bring us to that point. Bring us to that point so that we will truly understand how awesome that is, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, use us, your people, to reach others, to be that example of Jesus Christ, how he can save anyone. Because in that place, we are no better. We are all your people. We all want to be saved, Father. Be there for us. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Tonight, we ask all these things in his name. Amen.